My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this, you are not on our private subscriber feed, and you will only be hearing a portion of this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full-length episode, you'll need to go to riseproductive.com membership or sign up on your favorite podcasting app for exclusive access. From there, you'll also get access to our exclusive newsletter, the weekly pour-over, our private members-only Slack community, and any other subscriber-only content. So if you enjoy what we are doing here, please consider becoming a member. Law school boy in two weeks, huh? Law school boy in 10 days. I'm a... Uh, Good God. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm excited though. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it'll be fun, but um, I'm also, you know, enjoying this last little bit of summer here. I will say um, I've been going to some meetings lately, just kind of getting the feel of like what it's going to be like and everything, just like some student-ran organizations mm-hmm. are doing like Zoom conferences and seminars. And um, after attending some of this stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to get after it. Like, I'm excited to see what the academic rigor will be like. So I think it's going to be really hard. I think it's going to like knock me down at least a couple pegs. But I also think like it's a new challenge. I'm excited to step up. I respect that. I also think that I think when some people go along in their life, they go and they, they have parents who say certain things like, you know, chance you could have been a lawyer, but like <laughs> you're going to be a lawyer. Yeah. I'm actually doing the thing. So, um, <laughs> how does it make you feel? You're, you're the preventative nature against the meme. <laughs> yeah. All of our kids got to be doctors and lawyers. It's funny. My parents never once were like, you need to be a doctor or lawyer, but you know what? Could you imagine Found that? it all by myself? I couldn't imagine that expectation. I think my parents wanted me to get a reasonable degree. They helped me out with college and they're like, yeah, no, you're not getting like art sciences or whatever. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I didn't want to insult a group of people, but I'm just going to do it. Like, um, I'm not going to be political. How do you, you can't make fun of anything without being political anymore. You notice that? Yeah, don't even get an example. You you just didn't get a degree that you know they wouldn't I mean? be like happy a useless with. degree, a useless degree in the in the eyes of whatever. In the eyes of I mean, the, the market, the workforce. Yeah, the workforce. The, the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they wanted a business degree, probably or engineering, something that was like tangible, you know. Sure. And I respect that. They were they they were paying for it for the most part. So it's like yeah. No, that makes sense. I can respect that, but um, yeah, I couldn't imagine that level of pressure if it was like that fixated on like being a doctor or like like i said like being a lawyer like i got enough pressure on my own <laughs> i don't need any external well, like pressure the king our friend the king mm-hmm. he had to deal with that right yeah and he had to overcome it too i mean he had to t- end up taking a different path but i think he's doing what's best for himself but uh yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's a lot man it's a lot of pressure and it can push you in the wrong direction if it's not what you actually want i think oftentimes self-imposed pressure in doses is is like better for you than you feeling like someone's forcing a path on you because mm-hmm. the lack of control there is much more stressful than your self-imposed choice ish you know what i mean yeah like kind of like not having choices is kind of good sometimes yeah but also like 
you're limiting your choices personally. But when you, yeah, it's like that. Actually, we've talked about this probably. Like when an external force from your perception is limiting you, you're upset with it. Yeah, true. But when it, to your standpoint and perception is you limiting yourself, you're in like your happiest space. Like this is what I'm going to do because I want to be doing it. Right, right, right. But also you don't have the indecision side of it and the anxiety of not knowing. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, I'm on the right path. And actually, there's a chapter that is in this book, um, chapter 11, Sing on the Bus, which we'll talk about later. But it makes me feel good that I've kind of narrowed down my choice and figured out a path that I'm doing for the next few years. But we'll get into that later. We got a, a long ways to go. But yeah, we haven't talked a ton this past week, but I'm excited for this this new book review. But first, how have you been, Dimitri? Um, I've been pretty good, I think. I don't know. I feel like life's rolling. Life's doing well. Um, I'm proud of you, by the way. You're going to be a lawyer. I'm very proud of you. Just just get that on the internet for, for all eternity. <laughs> um, before he goes, before he becomes a famous lawyer, I want that on the record. Uh, and yeah, works good. Um, Google took us out to dinner last week. Uh, and then they're going to take us out again <laughs> next week. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Digital marketing is getting back to the world of like, they used to take agency people out because like you use a product, it's similar to like the financial world. Like you use somebody's product or you sell something and they'll entertain clients, that sort of thing. But they just haven't done it because of the vid forever. Mm-hmm. And now they're getting back to it. So that's good to see. Um, the team I was working with got a little smaller, still bigger than what I was before. No one got fired or anything, but like, the client wanted less people on. So it's, it's a whole thing. Like basically I'm working with less coworkers on the same projects, but honestly it makes me feel a little bit more fulfilled. Cause I'm like, I'm in charge of stuff. And people are like, you're doing things pretty fast. Thank you for the good work. I'm like, yes, I have been capable the whole time. I've just been waiting <laughs> to like get more work. I've been waiting for more work. Please give me something to do. I will do it. I was like, and, and it's not like I was doing nothing, but in comparison to before, I'm like, Okay. Cool. Like <laughs> we doing something or what? And busy season is not now too, so that factors in. But I'll probably be hating it in, in February or whatever. Um what else? Uh channel's doing really well. Had the best month of all time last month. Podcast is still doing well. We have random spikes every few weeks to to have big listens, which is the weirdest analytics you'll ever look at is Chance and I's podcast analytics. It'll be like great month awful month (laughs) medium month awful month best month of all time (laughs) best month of all time worst month of all time i'm like how do you how does that i don't it's like it's the ultimate Um, practice and not getting caught up in like your own analytics your own like (laughs) likes on any kind of social media because like if we ever like fed into that or put any emotional baggage into those statistics whoo i'd just be a wreck bad it's like i like writing the high with you yeah, of course. I think we both like gassing each other up when it, it goes well. But when it's bad, we just, I think we have a mutual like silent agreement that I'm verbalizing now. Just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like what, what are we going to do? Sit there and mope about it? Like that doesn't oh, help anybody. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. And then when you anecdotally hear things from people, like we had our first member and they're like, dude, you've been doing amazing work. I've loved listening to you for the past year. I'm like, this guy's literally listened to us talk for like a hundred times. It, we're doing okay. 
Yeah, you that's know? way more like affirming somebody for me in than, the world. than any kind of number. So shout out to anyone who does listen on the regular. You're more appreciated than you know. Yeah, we love you. Um, I love you. Um, <laughs> and then client work. I finally have client work for YouTube. Or not YouTube. No, I call everything an RP YouTube that isn't also the podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? I have that in my head. I just say YouTube work. You just compartmentalize like, I mean, that is kind of like the, the two main funnels though. It's the podcast and the YouTube and like YouTube is what jumpstarts all the other stuff. Yeah. And my parents and friends and family always say your YouTube stuff. And then they'll ask what Rise Productive is every once in a while. I'm like, it's like, I don't want to name my YouTube channel Rise Productive because then it just seems like a blatant rip off of Francesco's channel, you know? Sure. Even yeah, though yeah, he... Yeah. He he and I aren't tight or anything, but he comments on every like twentieth video, and he seems like he doesn't hate me. So like, <laughs> I hope he doesn't think I'm ripping him off because <laughs> we're just two guys talking about apps. Um, but yeah, no, I finally got client work, which is weird. I, I've been trying to get consulting calls to like come to fruition. Someone seemed really excited um, with with what I'm doing, uh, and and I'm I'm getting some client work, but every time I get worried about like. Only have enough time to make videos this morning i recorded six like <laughs> i recorded six and i got up at six this morning how many can i record if i start getting up at four again i don't know I'm like it, it's fine 18 if it's linear i don't know if energy works like that man. <laughs> trust me you put on that like i realized that i really enjoy the way i record now like i am productivity at meme lord and people who I've talked with on discovery calls are like, I enjoy the fact that you kind of mess around the entire time. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, I don't like, like, you think I, I can get through 30 videos a month of productivity app videos without making jokes? Yeah, it's impossible. Like, who, who's sane enough to do that? I mean, yeah, you like, we like this stuff, but I mean, sometimes it's just... Like, it's like, and it's it's just literally doing something like this. Yeah, you know, Notion. I don't know. Like just little dumb idiosyncrasies that make me get through the recording. Mm-hmm. And not not that I'm hating it, but you know what I mean? Like, mm, yeah, just like because I know it's it's going to get feedback. And, and I just imagine myself zooming in on my face in the edit and then I chuckle like in my brain. So there's <laughs> that. Whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. I respect that. <laughs> Um, you want to get this thing going with a little uh, enthusiast yeah, quote of the week here, get into a little book review, little 4,000 weeks by uh, Oliver Berkman. So this book was introduced to us by Ali Abdal because that guy has amazing book recommendations as much as we harp on him. Um, and I just want to say thank you for that, Ollie, before we get into this. So the enthusiast quote of the week is, time is the substance I am made of. Time is a river which sweeps me along, but I am the river. It is a tiger which destroys me, but I am the tiger. It is a fire which consumes me, but I am the fire. Jorge Luis Borges. Borges, I don't know. Yeah, Borges. Say the last name. Yeah, I actually so, really like this um, this author, this poet. Um, I think he's mm-hmm. Spanish, or he might be some kind of South American. I remember studying him in my Spanish courses. And he's like so philosophical, but let, but yet like poetic, just as a general mm-hmm. note. But I, I really like this. It goes along with the stuff that um, 
Berkman kind of mentions about Heidegger and his philosophy of time. But yeah, man, I mean, it's a little depressing, but it's also kind of beautiful. It's like, I am time, but also time is what's destroying me. Like, we're all a ticking time bomb, you know? Yeah. And Oliver talks about this in his last chapter when he's often referencing our obsession with time is like good to a certain extent but is also our downfall you know like you and i love i don't know we like productivity we like making time work for us well yada yada but when it comes to it like man it really does end up being the detriment of our our mental sanity sometimes when you go through life of thinking things like a checkbox and i joke about being addicted to notion checkboxes and mildly true <laughs> And this book is a really good, sorry, this quote is a really good, I'm using this word incorrectly, but microcosm of the message of the book and the, it is a microcosmic example of what we all go through on our day-to-day basis when it comes to worrying about time management, as well as the inevitability that is death. Right. Yeah. I mean, it does really get to the core of the problem here. I mean, even in the intro if you just want to hop in, I think we should just do the chronological mm-hmm. here as we normally do. But yeah. Berkman in the intro titled in the long run, we're all dead. He kind of says that the brevity of life is the core problem of life. And he even re- references Seneca from the get go, which already wins me over. Yeah. But um, it's kind of like this. You're pulling on both ends of the string here when you realize that the brevity of life is our core problem, that we are time because you realize that, life is bursting with all this amazing stuff, all this wonder that you want to see to make the most of your time. And that's great. Like you should be trying to observe the grandeur that is of our universe. But at the same time, trying to extract the most out of the wonder or awe of something removes that naturalness. Mm-hmm. It removes that just organic, intentional kind of observation of the whole situation and you make it much more mechanical. And that's kind of one of his underlying issues with productivity is that we're trying, the the end goal is really nice. It's like, yeah, like let's make the most Mm -hmm. of life. Let's get the most happy. But one of the analogies that Berkman makes in the book is that trying to enjoy life by being really productive is kind of like forcing yourself to sleep, like try really hard to sleep and then, you'll never actually fall asleep. I like this example that he brings up and I'm glad you brought it up because this this really is true. If you've ever tried to fall asleep, miserable. Just like, hey, I, I gotta I get, I gotta get my nine hours. <laughs> oh, Sorry, it's bro. time to get nine hours. I mean, shut off. <laughs> Rip, bro. Sometimes we do this and it's just rude. Anyways, um, <laughs> inside jokes. So, yeah, I think it's really it's really stressful, though. In all seriousness, it's so stressful when you realize you want to get to bed. One of my favorite Ali Abdulisms is when he's like, yeah, no, I just don't look at the clock when I know it's late and I should have gone to bed. And I just, like, wake up at 6 or 7 or whatever it is, and I just feel better. And I'm like, yeah, I don't disagree. Like, because you're going to stress out about what time it is for, even if he's wrong about the fact that you will feel less tired, from a psychological perspective, if you are stressed that it's 11 and you're going to, and you need to get up at six, 
and you're like forcing yourself to sleep, you're going to fall asleep later than if you just didn't look. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that is one of the best Ali Abdul pieces of advice I've isms. ever, yeah, it's one of the best isms yeah. I've ever gotten. That was on one of the not overthinking episodes I remember where they were like, yeah, if it's the middle of the night, I just want to check my phone. Like, why would I even bother? Mm-hmm. It's so true. Like, even now when I'm getting into my night routine, I, I put down my phone and part of the intention of that is to like, if I'm meditating and then I go to bed, I really don't care what time I end my meditations now and what time I go to bed. Because obviously I want to get a good amount of sleep, but I've allocated enough time for both. And if there's a variation where it's like, let's say I allocate eight and a half hours, 30 minutes to meditate, eight hours of sleep. And if I meditate for 45 minutes, so be it. Oh, an extra 15 minutes of meditation. That's so bad for you. No. And will I really benefit from looking at the clock before I go to bed and telling myself I'm going to get seven hours and 45 minutes of sleep versus eight? No. So yeah, it's just kind of, yeah. it reminds me of, even if you want to keep moving here, it reminds me of that deep time thing that Berkman's talking about where it's kind of this like this timeless time where we kind of let go of the way that we as humans have constructed time and just kind of live mm. within reality where it's like there's this one physical thing happening here and then the next sequence is this next thing. I was in a sitting position meditating at one point and now I'm in a laying position sleeping at another point. It's weird to think about it that way when we like remove the yardstick of time. Yeah. But it's way more organic and way more soothing, at least for me personally. I think when you take out the linearity of time, you find just more flow state. Like when you're unaware, that's just kind of Mihai Chiksent Mihai would probably agree with that statement it's it's very much a difficult thing to get yourself into flow when you're aware of the time uh and i think actually i struggle with this often because i'm such a time-oriented person and i think at most points of the day if you hit me with it I can be within a five minute range of what time it is if I wasn't looking. But I don't know whether that's because I'm aware of it because I like glance often mm-hmm. or what, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, it is tough because we do go into to flow state, like deep work pretty often. But yeah, like I, I still kind of feel like I have a sense of the time. But I don't know, if I'm in the middle of it, there are times where I kind of let go. Like sometimes I'll just like set an alarm to like pull myself out of deep work because I'm like, I don't want to go for too long. I don't know if you've ever had that, but like the, there are times when like mm-hmm. I'm just like so tunnel visioned mm-hmm. on that stuff. Yeah. I think that's also one of the reasons why, I mean, this is a, a totally different thing, but thinking about our relationship with time and flow state, like the one workout I really don't like in running, probably my, it's probably my Achilles heel is fart licks because they're time-based. They're not distance-based. Mm-hmm. And so if anyone who doesn't know, a far lick is where like you have intervals of time on at a faster pace and time off at a slower pace. And it mm-hmm. doesn't matter how fast you go, how much distance you gather over that time. It's just like you're set on running for three minutes fast and then you're doing one minute slow. And I don't think that the issue for me is that like I feel fatalistic about the fact that I have to run for three minutes. It's mm-hmm. like well, whether I go slow or fast, I'm still running for three minutes quote-unquote hard the thing for me is that Mm -hmm. i keep looking and checking the time because i want to hold myself accountable 
two proper intervals, but because I have to do it myself, like I wish I had like a dinger almost that would just like tell me when it's over because yeah. when I have to keep looking and looking again, I can't ever catch myself into a flow state of like, all right, I'm putting in a good effort. Like I'm focused on like my stride or my breathing. It's one of the worst workouts for me personally, just because it always jerks me in and out of that flow state. We should talk about this offline, but I, I wonder if there's a way to program your like fart licks into your watch before you start. That would be nice. Um, for for Garmin's, I think there's a way to have auto um, lap based off time intervals. Mm-hmm. Google that or second brain that. Um, <laughs> and also, I find it intriguing that you and I have the opposite favorite probably and it com- when it comes to running also for reference fartlek is spelled f a r t l e k it stands for speed play i think it's a swedish word yeah it's swedish anyways it's not a we're not saying fart lick um <laughs> anyways um i was in high school and thought that was funny mm-hmm. i don't i love reps and i love fartlicks i don't like progressions or sustain long efforts i think it's funny how we have the exact same or sorry we have the opposite preferences probably when it comes to workouts and running really i think mm-hmm. it's probably why you do better sense, in, than, in track than me though is because there's such a focus on time on the track whereas with cross country it's just like yeah be the first person it's the flow yeah it's the flow love the flow i i, I can't yeah, I'm very short-term time interval focused on the track too. I, honestly, it's because I ran di- shorter different distances. Um, but one, but two, dude. It's not a. It's I try to. It's I'm trying not to make it a flex. It's due to my circumstantial, like where I lived when I was a kid, versus like the talent level I had around me. I was wrecking kids for like three straight years in high school with no competition until one meet in the year. Right. So I could only focus on time. I could only focus on hit this split, hit this split. In theory, this is exactly how your body should respond. This is the optimal, like you go out in this time, you'll finish in this time. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the only way you can think when you're time trialing. Yeah. That's a good point. If you're only racing yourself, then you really do have to lean into the clock as an ally. That's interesting. Like, like my state, my conference, my conference indoors, my junior year, I won by in the 800, nine seconds. Mm. And I had a three second lead at 200. Like you don't think about anybody yeah. during that time frame. Like you're just not going to <laughs> yeah. because you're like, yeah, no, these guys are done. And that I think was to my detriment when it came to longer distances because it was just like it's hard to focus on the time aspect of it for 25 minutes yeah it is yeah it's exhausting to an extent for sure um yeah also in this chapter we're still looking at chapter one here i guess choosing to choose um there's this really interesting quote from nietzsche that actually ties into a later chapter chapter friedrich oh friedrich hey there um, where he says that haste is universal because everyone is in flight from himself. 
and kind of talking about how we, it kind of ties into chapter 10 where he introduced this idea of us being speed addicts as productivity geeks, people who want to keep going and doing one thing after another, not because, not even because we're trying to extract as much grandeur from life as we can, because I think as Berkman's trying to make obvious, that's not an efficient way to do that. That's not an efficient way to enjoy life to the fullest extent, but rather, and this is so existentialist, is that all the existentialists believe that whatever we're partaking in in our life is because we're trying to deny or hide ourselves from a more true version of ourselves. And so I think with Nietzsche here, he's saying that leisure makes us stop and think about who we really are, what our identity is, what our core values are, maybe even the fact that we are time and we're eventually going to die. And Berkman is arguing that as speed addicts, we're hiding from those realities. And I want to ask you, do you, what are your thoughts on the whole like speed addict thing? Like, do you think that we are speed addicts the way that some people are like alcoholics? Because that's an analogy you make. That wasn't, that was me. Hmm. Yes. I am one. Yeah, you think so? No, I think I, 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 th- I thought he was calling me out. <laughs> I was reading this. I was listening to this on Audible, and I'm like, this dude's calling me out right now. Good. It was, it was a little scary. Like, uh, before we, we talked about this before on the podcast, just candidly, like, did you like this book? You know, we don't ever give the ratings to each other beforehand, but I'm like, did you like this dude? He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, yeah. Um, felt like he was calling me out half the book, but I liked it. It was a bit eye opening in some instances, and this one was like point blank broski i am a time i am a speed addict yeah and i think i am too like i think there's part of me that likes to say i mean there's things that we're all hiding from like i think one thing for me is i don't make enough time to call my family and maybe there's something that i'm hiding there where it's like oh like oh maybe i don't want to talk to my family or whatever and so i tell them like i'm really busy with school and running and all this other stuff and it's true to an extent, but you know you can always make time for those things. But I think a lot of people hide behind this veil of busyness rather than just making time for all the things that actually should matter to them or things that require a little more reflection, things they're maybe afraid of. I actually thought this was a good critique. Um, in chapter 10, he, like I said, he did kind of make an analogy to alcoholism. If we get there, I'll probably mm-hmm. elaborate on my true feelings about that. I think it's a little sus, but um, hmm. there, there's some water. It, it holds some water. It's just, you know, not not perfect. Not a perfect analogy. But yeah, in terms of getting called out, man, chapter two, the efficiency trap. I feel like he was just coming straight for your throat. I mean, this is something that I've said to you. BB has said to you. <laughs> but basically the efficiency <laughs> trap is that <laughs> as productivity people, as we consume more productivity... And this is one thing I really think is refreshing about this whole book, just stepping back for a second, is that Berkman is, he's been deep into the productivity stuff. Like, I think he used to be deep into like, mm-hmm. really just like really trying to like a, optimize his He was his a time. blogger. He, yeah, yeah, he was a blogger. Of productivity. He was a productivity blogger. Yeah, and it's like, so he's mm-hmm. kind of like seen that side of things. And I think he stepped away and he was like, there's a lot of things wrong here. So I'm gonna make a book, but all the things are wrong with productivity. Mm-hmm. But it's tasteful because it's, it's, you know, it's not called F productivity or anything. It's 4,000 weeks. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the critiques that he also has here is this thing where 
with productivity, we get better at doing more things, but at the expense of the end goal being, let's put more things on our plate. Like this happened with you, Dimitri, like where we've, Mm -hmm. like you've gotten more efficient at making videos or editing videos or editing thumbnails. And then it's like, okay, let's move to like five days a week or five videos a week, six videos a week, seven seven videos a week. Oh, like let's not just do the podcast. Let's do the podcast and the shorts and the exclusive shorts. And, huh. and so it's like we're always getting better at things, but always, but with the end goal of doing more things with our newfound speed. And so when we reflect on this book and like what maybe if it's a, I don't know if it's an action item in your eyes or not, mm-hmm. but the alternative to adding more things to our plate is task elimination. And do you think that task elimination is a good action item? Yeah, and I think another Ollie Abdulism is finding your rate. Um, we'll have a just honest moment here. Like, I'm going to charge a lot of money per hour, probably for Notion builds, right? Apparently, the going rate is, apparently, didn't know this, for consulting is like 75 to like 250 bucks an hour for like Notion consulting, okay? Yeah. That's, that's the equivalent of like people who build websites. Somebody... I saw had a website where they charge we're on their website they charge 10k for notion builds and full implementation for a company mm-hmm. okay so like full transparency if I start having to do more of this say I spend 20 hours a week doing this I want you to hold me to this you're my friend you hopefully will bro it is effing ridiculous you don't outsource things like your thumbnails and your descriptions and you're editing if you start making 175 bucks an hour doing notion builds while you're making youtube videos wouldn't you agree yeah i mean absolutely especially if it's like i mean okay because there's context should only cost five bucks a pop yeah they should and you have to find a good editor i mean that takes time but if you got to a place where you were working 20 hours a week doing notion builds I could see a world where you want to put 20 more hours on your plate for the YouTube stuff. But if like, if you exceed that, if you're a guy who's working more than 40 hours a week and 20 of your hours, you're getting paid 175 bucks an hour. I'm kind of like, you guys can't see it on the zoom, but I'm like, I'm giving him the eye here. (laughs) That's a little suspicious. Stupid. And yeah, and so I, I think that is something that I would hold you to. It's something that I would ho- hopefully you would hold me to is, as we say, I'm entering the legal field and there's a lot of places where you can make a lot of money, but you also have to work a lot mm-hmm. of hours to make mm-hmm. a lot of money. And it's like, at what expense? At some point, I think there's going to come a point in time where I'm really going to sit down myself and say, is this extra money worth more of my limited time, more of my 4,000 weeks? And hopefully you'll be holding yeah. me that to that same standard as well, where it's like, at some point, lifestyle frugality is just more important. Enjoying life is more important than whatever extra cash you can get there or saving money making your YouTube thumbnails. I think there's a lot to be said about, yeah, about that. Like, Ali talks about it a lot, but finding your rate. What is your rate that matters to you? Because at the end of the day, and, you know, um, Tim Ferrissism too, just make your life a little different. Like, 
I should. I mean, reasonably. Reasonably so. With your new laptop, I mean, I might just start paying you to do it. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If you have the time. If not, no. But, because I don't want to put too much on your plate. But, I like, you know, like, I could find somebody to do it for five bucks a pop. Like, I think it's stupid for me to be like, oh, I'm just not going to find someone who's going to make the thumbnails just like me. Bro, it's a bunch of templated pictures and backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, it it looks simple. I mean, at least you make it look simple. Because I do the same process every time. It's like, here's another picture of me. Here's the exact outer glow. I, I color match-ish the background to the color glow of my body, make it a little brighter, do the same exact things for the logos that are involved in the video. I angle them a bit. I glow them a couple ways. Bada bing, bada boom. Took me eight minutes. Here's the thumbnails. And it's like, but then, you know, then stupid productivity me is like, all right, but hear me out. In a month, like, it only takes me 80 to 90 minutes to make thumbnails. So, like, am I really paying somebody? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get really stupid about it in my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I don't know. It, it's like the the whole Tim Ferriss thing where it's like you don't want to offload stuff because you think that you can do it the best. And I think when we read yeah. that book, it was kind of like, okay, well, duh. Like, why wouldn't you just like offload that to somebody? Like someone else, like from an outside lens, it's like obviously someone else can also do what you're doing. But mm-hmm. when you're in the midst of it, you're the one who's kind of paved that path. It can kind of feel like you're the only one that could do it because it's so you. But these processes are replicable. They are doable for other people. And so like, yeah, offload that stuff. Task elimination. Like once well, that, like when you when you started editing the podcast, like it was a big deal for me. I thought you were gonna f it up. Not you, <laughs> but like anybody. Yeah, it was the first time you ever offloaded anything. And I'm, I'm sure that had some anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But it was a good lesson because hopefully you were able to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I tried thumbnails. I tried thumbnails. It went awful. I got to find a new editor. Anyways, too much on that subject. Moral of the story is, hold that to me. I think task elimination is a good item, but what, what I think the putting it down pen and paper is, if this does happen, I need to set a deadline for making task elimination a thing. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think that's... Um... I was thinking of a way to make that um, an action item. And I think that this is something that comes from dreamlining slash goal setting slash like long-term planning is like when you sit down and think like, okay, when I reach a certain number of X or Y, like whether it be like views per month, like income from YouTube, whatever have you, like then we have to get to a place of task elimination. But I truly think, I think well, okay, at, yeah. at the same time you can offload something, but then is that when you start making YouTube shorts? Is that when you start <laughs> a second podcast? Is that, you, you know what I'm saying? And this is like, you like, uh, I think it's always easy to like sit here and say these things, but then you see all these YouTubers that go down this path. Like look at Ali Abdal, man. He's got a full team and he still works all the time. Like he's posting, uh, he's trying to post more than he's ever posted before. <laughs> he's writing a book which is honorable, but if I'm him, I'm like, stop, do less. You know, write the book. Like, take a break from YouTube if you have to. 
I get the passion though. I get the passion and I get he, I know exactly what he feels like. I know what it's like to just feel like I have to keep it up. I have to keep it up. I have to keep it up. And it's, it's so addicting. Like you feel pride for it and you feel like this is what you want to do. It's excitement. But there is a part of all people, I think, that are lying to themselves. They don't think that they also do deserve the break. Like there was, there was a point I reached. So when, when I went to Oregon with my dad to watch Worlds, I mean, I was asked, like, are you upset that your week off is over? And I unironically said, no, I didn't really feel like I needed a vacation. And I think that might be a little bad. Do you think that it's an actual enjoyment so much or is it like you just have like those mental calluses where it's like, and what I mean by that is like people would develop like toe blisters. Like it's kind of like a running thing, but mm-hmm. like you'll develop toe blisters and it really hurts. You want to stop running. But then if you keep running through it, that skin will harden and no longer will you have pain. And so it's like, did you become <laughs> numb to the pain? <laughs> <laughs> to the not taking breaks. Or do you really enjoy it? Yeah. Well, I really had fun in Oregon. Yeah, and I'm sure you did. But at the same time, I said, and I I didn't feel like I needed the break, but I don't know. Yeah. This actually right. feeds into another, I think, mm-hmm. potential action item from this book. Chapter four, Becoming a Better Procrastinator. He, Berkman, tells the story of what allegedly comes from the mouth of Warren Buffett. Maybe, maybe not. Mm. Um, he says, I guess Warren Buffett tells this one person, like list out the top 25 most important things in your life. What are the top 25 things you want out of this life? And so this guy lists it all out. And then Warren Buffett says, Mark, which of these are in your top five of the 25? What's the top 20% most important? That person picks the top five. And then Warren Buffett says, you should not pay any attention to the other 20 things here. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this is an interesting little bit of a uh, little bit of psychology here because I think in a lot of ways we can think about a lot of things that we want out of life. But when you think about our time being so linear and the way that we kind of ignore this idea of death, we can fall into these fallacies where it's like we can get everything done. Like if you're not something, someone who reflects on death often, it explains why you spend a lot of your time maybe wasting your time scrolling through social media or what have you because you don't often think about how little time you have. And so in the same sense, you can look at that list of 25 things and say, oh, I can get all these done. I could do all 25 of these things. But if you really want to get the most out of any of them, you have to limit your list incredibly short. And so I, I kind of like this. I think this could be a good action item. I don't know how you're feeling. I think this is good. I just actually lifted, listed my top five. Mm. Would you think this accurately characterizes my top five? This list right here? Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I think this is this is my list. Make a living as an influencer. Be in shape. Have a simple financial life. Have a simple physical life. Have good relationships. I'm going to list out my hair. I mean, look at me. I think so. It's it's really hard to get that tangibly because we're doing this exercise and you know what? I, I got to say, I think a problem for me is the efficiency trap because 
I don't know if I actually have a problem with uh, only listening to my top five. It's just I scope creep myself on the top five all the time. You scope you know I mean? creep? Oh, God, wait. You, you weren't a business major. Um, <laughs> let me, let me, you're like, what the hell is scope creep, bro? Uh, let me get the definition for you because I don't even know if I could explain it well. Scope creep. Definition. Scope creep is when a project scopes change, the project work starts to extend or creep beyond what was originally planned, which is similar to the efficiency trap, just a different way to say it, sort of. Um, so I just like, I go hard in, in scope creeping the amount of time that it that I spend in all of the areas. It's not like, I don't think I even try a lot of different things. Like, I think that's pretty much all I spend my time on. Like, especially when it comes to, like, here's an example. Does, do I care about my, mm, mm, there's actually one more in there. There's one more in there. Mm-hmm. It's just self-improvement, like, generally speaking. But I feel like being in shape is also slash self-improvement. Like, it's just, I'm trying to, like, yeah. optimize me. It's, like, the same thing. So, I just try to make all those things work a lot at once, though. Yeah, yeah. And perhaps we could make this list more tangible. Like, I like how Warren Buffett says, what are the five things you want out of life like what is like a tangible thing you want out of life like retirement at 50 or family and kids and with the big backyard mm. or something like that it's like big backyard because the, the things i put down here is like yeah great family slash community but that can look like a lot of things that could look like relation relationships of friends going in seven different directions or really being in touch with my in-laws and also in touch with my parents and mm. Stuff like that, you know, it, it can really get blurry. And so I like that it's so tangible. I think off the podcast, we should, um, I mean, personally, I think I'm going to kind of try to sit down and really make it more tangible because I think, again, this is almost falling into that same trap of, yeah, you're putting out really vague things so that you can make it more than just five things and everything feels like it's working towards those same goals, but in a lot of cases, you could actually be working towards some other thing that you're trying to get out of life, which isn't going to ever happen if we're thinking about how you can only get five things. Facts. Facts. I feel like it could be... I mean, we're categorizing here because making a life as an influencer could be 15 different things. I mean, do I have a book? Do I only do the YouTube channel? Do I do the YouTube and the <laughs> podcast and the blog and the, you know? Right, yeah. It might be better to put, I want a successful YouTube channel or I want to write a book and publish a book. It takes out two. Yeah, it takes out two. Shoo. Sheesh. Sheesh. And so I think this is a nice lesson that Berkman kind of relays here from allegedly Warren Buffett is that we fall into this trap of not often reflecting upon the idea of death and we think that we almost have an infinite amount of time to get all these things done and when you pull yourself in so many directions it's like anyone who believes in the bad version of multitasking not like the amensation principle type of multitasking but like mm -hmm. we're literally doing two or three things at once like 
listening or like watching a movie and listening to an, a podcast at the same time, you're yeah. getting nothing from either. <laughs> Multiple resource theory. Multiple resource theory. Yes, exactly. Okay. We'll have to talk offline about that. Yeah. Uh, that's how I'm feeling right now too. But yeah, yeah, I think it's nice. It also um is a good way of defeating FOMO and actually making some JOMO, which I don't know if he coined this, but the joy of missing out type huh. of mind state where it's like, if one of the five things you put down is like, I want a successful podcast. And one mm-hmm. of those things I didn't put down is, I don't know, like generating great friendships with every person on the cross country team for the rest of my life. Then mm. maybe I wouldn't feel bad about missing out on like a day at the beach so I can go do the podcast with Dimitri. Oh, it's like, that's how we get to a place where we mm-hmm. defeat FOMO and actually are in this place of JOMO. Where we're really happy that we're missing out on other things because making a decision to be here, it negates every other thing that we could be doing and says that this is more important than all those things combined. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And, you know, you and BB do a great job of Jomo sometimes with a, oh, when someone like, when someone's like, oh, let's go do this. You're like, oh, that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> and like, you're being so sarcastic. <laughs> you just literally have joy of not doing the thing. I think it's just because I've been through the ringer of giving myself to every social situation and I know how unsustainable it is and also just how unfulfilling mm-hmm. it can be. Like, because sometimes things can be unsustainable, but they like really do mean a lot to me and I end up reflecting on them well. But there's so much stuff that I've given myself to in social activities and it's just like, I just wish I was at home. Yeah. And so. Yeah. 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 It's finding that balance. And this is something definitely wherever you my number five says have good relationships like i think it's hard to find i think that one you do kind of get a narrow down into a a subcategory you're in the you're in the subcategory i don't know what that subcategory is but you know what i mean like there's a group of people i feel like have good relationships with those who reciprocate effort yeah (laughs) you know what i mean i mean you could almost employ like the yeah the aristotelian idea that you can only have like mm. three true friends yeah like three friends that aren't out of like proximity or like because you have a nice pool Mm -hmm. but just like the end in itself so like don't mess up that (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. like that's like i think that's what like the subcategory of have good relationship is is like partner and like two friends Mm -hmm. yeah i like that i like that okay we'll have to okay so and i think moving on to oh oh yeah sorry i was just gonna bleed it into to six here because i think it is methodically connected a little bit. This is another thing that mm-hmm. I think is a strength of this book is that it's sometimes I don't like how explicit connections are in chapters of books. Like um like psychology of money reminded me of that. Where it was like two chapters would be both really solid but like really adjacent. Okay. It's like they're almost saying the same thing, but it's a slightly different thing. I think sometimes it's really tasteful. But when it's too explicit, it's also like, okay, this is like a really like generic self-help kind of thing we're doing right here. So from a stylistic standpoint, I think Berkman does a good balance, but the intimate interrupter is kind of talking about how we don't really pay attention all that much or attention, like, like the whole attention economy that lives and exists in our society right now exists because paying attention is so exhausting. Hmm. 
and mm-hmm. paying attention is, as he says, the whole mark of our existence and not buying atten- not paying attention by going on social media or entertainment of whatever sort means giving our life away, our finite time away. And so I kind of like this because, again, it gets back to those like top five priorities. Like, mm-hmm. pay attention to what you're actually, what bucket you're actually filling. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think the reason that you and I probably are, we spend a lot of time doing what we want to do is because we just don't go and look at that stuff. Like, I don't. I have had. I'm going to put a random number out there. 75 discussions in the last calendar year with people about like, yeah, I don't use, I mean, I don't go on like Instagram or TikTok. Like I, I, I'm never on social media. And they're like, hmm, I call BS. I'm like, I listen to YouTube in the background. That is self-help. I don't count that as social media. Uh, like that's, that's listening to audiobooks in the background. It's the same thing in my opinion. Um, I'm like, I don't know what. And then I say, or they ask me, also, in, in a similar Jason conversation, why don't you make TikToks or shorts? And I'm like, I existential crisis, it is a moral issue for me. And they say, moral? Moral? I'm like, well, I don't know if that's the right phrase, but it's like the fiber of my being. It's anti what I want out of my own life. So why would I feed into it? Yeah, there would be too much identity co- like identity dissonance for you if you were to be a person who doesn't do that, doesn't feed into the attention economy. But yeah, make shorts and take away other people's time. It's like, we're trying to better people's lives here. And something like a podcast is long form content where you are diving deep into a topic. Podcasts have, I've listened to have changed my life in big ways, but never mm. has a TikTok really made me think that differently about my life from a growth mindset. Yeah, and then when people are like, oh, I see a lot of good stuff for food. I'm like, bro, watch Josh Wiseman or bake or better whatever with Babish. I'm like, chill. Like, don't don't act like you can't find that in long form YouTube content. Yeah, you absolutely can. And it's also like, like if it's it's a mindless. Again, the here's the whole thing with like the attention economy is that you go on TikTok and you do it because you don't want to actively pay attention. Paying attention is exhausting sometimes. That's why life is exhausting. The, As Berkman says, your life is just made up of the things that you remember from life. Mm. Like it, it, when you're laying on your deathbed, all you have is your memories and the people that are around you. And it's like, if you don't remember, like whatever you remember, that's your life. Like that and whatever you leave behind, I guess. But from a personal standpoint, from like the inward microcosm, it's only what you remember. And so when you're giving your attention away to stuff like social media, like, like I, I just don't, I don't know, getting back to the cooking point here, it's like you're not actually paying attention when you're on social media. You're not. Mm. Like you are just scrolling through mindlessly. You're not going to actually capture it. You're probably not going to remember all the details. Like I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen cooking recipes on TikTok. Not once have I made one. <laughs> But I, I watch stuff on YouTube and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go make this. Like, let me go write down everything because I actually watched a 15 minute video about how it's actually done. Not just like a 30 minute, like do this, do this, do that. So one of the more interesting people we know is BB. 
and he had a bold statement that he's never laughed at a meme. I don't agree with the statement, but I agree with the sentiment that memes have a lower impact joke-wise on my memory than anything I've heard in a conversation or in like a stand-up special which I would cons- or a comedy movie which I would consider long form. Mhm. Like you know what I mean? No, I absolutely agree. And yeah, I mean like to critique myself here, I think memes are a place where I throw away my attention where I'm I'm typically tired when I log in. This is the only time I ever go on Instagram is to look at my friend's meme page. And he knows that. <laughs> but I'll go on occasionally to look at the memes that my friend has posted on his personal account or his personal meme account. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a real deficit of my time. Like I'm definitely doing it as a form of leisure, but it's not really being any kind of mindful or attentive to the reality around me. I'd say the only caveat I have for myself, the only defense I stand on is that I do use memes as a means to generate conversations with friends that maybe I haven't spoken to recently. So I'll be like, I'll look at a meme and be like, oh, this reminds me of you. haha, laughing. And then like, it's hopefully good, it's it sparks. It's a catalyst. Yeah, it's not a bad catalyst. Like it's like, it's kind of like a language at this point on the internet. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think there's definitely contextual things here. But in the aggregate, the amount of time, I, you know, like, when I was getting Josh on about the Dragon Ball Z abridged thing, I'm like, <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, you're joshing on me about this, TikTok boy. Like, right. you spend all your time on TikTok, but I have been able to quote Dragon Ball Z abridged since I was 15. <laughs> because that was one of the best things I have ever seen in my life. And if you talk to anybody who's ever seen it, they'll be like, oh my God, this was amazing. They're not going to remember the random meme pages and stuff. They're the meme, random memes. Maybe there's a meme or two who's hit me, that's hit me different. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. You know what? This is actually tying really nicely into the next chapter, which is actually one of the other kind of crises I've had from this book. And I think we'll be able to distinguish what Berkman's talking about from like looking at memes because I think I think you're absolutely right like looking at memes versus watching something like Dragon Ball Z abridged like you're not going to get the same satisfaction or the same attentive awareness from those two activities it's totally going to be different. But there's this quote here that I want to read from Simone de Beauvoir, who is the, the wife and fellow philosopher of uh, John Paul Sartre. And she says, quote, if the satisfaction of an old man drinking wine counts for nothing, then production and wealth are only hollow myths. They have meaning only if they are capable of being retrieved in individual and living joy. And I think that one of the potential critiques of us as self-help geeks is that with a lot of the 30-day challenges we've done, a lot of the habits that we built, we tell ourselves, yeah, these are like nice like leisure activities because they only not only make me feel happy in this moment, but they're good for my future self. Like there's some kind of end that's bigger than just the present. But mm-hmm. in this chapter that you are here, Berkman is arguing how a lot of times when we're doing something, and I think reading is actually a really nice example of this, 
you're reading a book and sometimes I'll catch myself saying like, yeah. how close am I to the end? How close am I to be able to say, I finished another book? Like, look at the knowledge I have. Look at, like, look at my knowledge stats on this, on this bookshelf. <laughs> These are all the completed books I have. There are times where I get carried away by thinking about the end goal of this kind of leisure activity. And it pulls me away from the book itself or the meditation session itself. And Berkman argues that there needs to be some time in your life where you're doing something that is just a complete waste of time, but it's still attentive. Like it is nothing for nothing but the moment itself. Like I think he had a, he had one moment, I think in the book, this may have been the chapter where he's like, he sees the Northern Lights for the first time. And he's just like Mm -hmm. thinking about how they look like the screensaver from the Mm -hmm. iPhone. And he's like, yeah, that's super sad because the only reason I looked at the, he's saying that I looked at the Northern Lights with the thought of sharing this on social media, not because Mm. I want to enjoy the beauty of the Northern Lights themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, right? I think we all get, we all go through that specific example a lot. I've been in plenty of situations recently where like when Google took us to us out to dinner, I took a lot of pictures of the food and it's like, why? But I didn't share it on social media. It was for me, I guess. But also like I texted some people, it, you know, it was, it was good food for thought and conversation later. But mm-hmm. yeah, we really do this a lot. I think even a more meta example is this is the fact that we're having this conversation to have the conversation and put it on the internet. Um, we're, Pay, basing how long it is based off of how long we think the person would listen. We're we're doing different things in this conversation due to how people would react. How meta Dang. is this point? This is I, a meta point. This is the most meta point that's ever been on this podcast. <laughs> Self-proclaimed most meta point on the podcast. <laughs> Tweet that podcast, Sean. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, (laughs) like, yeah, but I think the difference here, and this is a small point is like, we don't look at this as like solely leisure. Like, yes, it's fun. I love Mm. doing the podcast, but like we hold ourselves to a little bit more responsibility than we do like something like reading. Like if I don't read one day, I don't care. But like, if you and I don't post the podcast one week, I'm going to be upset. Like that's responsibility. And so, but yeah, man, I mean, like if you really like bare bones it, like this just started as us talking when we were roommates in the gallery. Mm -hmm. It's like, we just decided to move this conversation to a room where we had microphones in front of ourselves and post it on the internet. And it's like, what was originally just something that was totally in the moment became something that was captured on the internet equally as magical, I think. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not just for the thing in itself. It's also with this end in mind. How often does that creep into my mind during the podcast? Probably not as often as something like reading mm. or like when I did yoga a lot. Like sometimes I really got caught up in the idea of like, oh yeah, yoga. That's like, it's going to be good for running. But it honestly tainted my experience of the of the yoga practice. It'd be like, yeah. Like, I'm taking away from the fact that this is just good in itself. It's relaxing in itself. 
but yeah, I don't feel that as much with the podcast, but man, that, that's a good example. Well, you know what it is? I think it's because we ha- have those conversations still. Yeah, we still have them outside of this. Like, you know, you and I had a, we've had long, lengthy discussions about deep topics outside of this podcast that probably shouldn't be aired, right? Like, well, we, we talked about uh, you reading Mark's books. We had a long conversation about that. That was a long you, conversation. We were talking about you, me, and BB had that one um, over New and, and New Year's. You remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a, that was a long one. Um, <laughs> like we've had those outside of it, even just when we were hanging out. I mean, we always there are actually a lot of the things that spark this these ideas on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more okay, but I do see myself having that issue sometimes of reading because like I got to read before I go to bed. It's like, do I though? Like I'm going to sleep just fine. If I don't like eldest is a great book and all, but I don't got to force two pages out just to check a box. Right. Yeah. And there's this really nice quote. He, he kind of calls this like using time instrumentally or like if you're doing something for the good in the moment, but also for the good as an end in some future time, like in some time later, he kind of has this thing where he kind of knocks on the idea of later, saying that later is always too late. He has this quote that says, results aren't everything because results only come later and later is always too late. And so it's like you, let's say you read every day, like for the results. Mm. Well, it's like, when will the results ever come? Like when will you actually ever use your like book knowledge or like the number of books you read to any kind of good like later will never Mm. come it always gets pushed off because it's an activity that you'll probably continue to do forever if you'd like to continue listening to this conversation you'll need to subscribe at riseproductive.com slash membership or on your favorite podcast app Once you do, you'll get full-length access to these episodes of the Rise Productive Podcast, as well as access to our subscriber-only podcast and newsletter, The Weekly Pour Over.